Do you feel politically homeless? Lost in the chaos of modern politics? Not sure who to believe? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Democrats call him a Republican. Republicans call him a socialist. He is Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle. Welcome to the Man in the Middle podcast, season two. I'm Stephen Reynolds, your host, recording today from the historic WGNS studios located in the heart of the great volunteer state, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Well, folks, we're back. This is the first episode after the election, and uh, it appears we have a new president-elect, Joseph Biden, as we predicted here in Tennessee. Um, uh, Donald Trump did carry the state of Tennessee uh, about where we thought he would do that. And then, um, obviously, Joe Biden won the election, it seems to be, or a lot of people are still holding out. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the economy. And, of course, we're going to talk about this COVID mess that's going on out there. And joining me today, we have a couple of guests. My good friend, Mr. Matt Colbert, is calling in from Bledsoe County. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Stephen. Just uh, watching some Sunday night football and Glad to be here on the podcast with you. Well, thanks for joining us. And our other guest today from Hamilton County, Mr. Josh Robertson, is joining us. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Well, Josh, thanks for coming. Uh, Matt, a lot of folks may be familiar with you. Uh, so let's let Josh uh, introduce. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh, and uh, where you're from and, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, I am uh, from Bledsoe County. Along with Matt, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, now I do real estate in Hamilton County, and I have a uh, degree in economics, and I still like to play around and, and keep up with those kind of things. Well, that's great. We're glad we uh, glad really glad to have you on here, Josh. We talk about the economy all of the time on this podcast. Various, uh, I try to get as many a uh, wide uh, variety of people that do different things in the economy to kind of help us uh, get a feel for where we're at right now. But let's we'll get there. Let's start with the election, uh, Matt. Let me start with you. Any surprise? Right. Any surprises from this? latest national election that just happened uh, about a week ago well you know i think that arizona was a little bit surprising we thought that they were leaning uh towards joe biden but georgia has taught just you know if they've done anything they've shown us the power of registering people to vote and you know really getting enthused just getting people out uh to cast their vote to support a race i mean georgia turning blue is absolutely probably the biggest shock i think that you know, most of your viewers and everybody across the country is looking at seeing right now. Yeah, I think so. I think that could uh, caught everybody off guard. I think they thought Georgia was going to be close. Uh, but, Josh, what about you down in Hamilton County? What do you think uh, about the election? I know um, uh, you had a pretty good Democratic candidate down there, Glenn Scruggs, that was running against uh, Todd Gardenhauer. I believe that race ended up a lot closer than folks thought. Uh, what's your opinion on all of this, Josh? I think a, a lot of things were a lot closer than, than people thought. Uh, you know, I was prepared for a blue wave, you know, like a lot of people. And, you know, that, that didn't happen. You yeah. know, we're, we're probably going to have a Senate that, depending on Georgia, you know, is Republican-leaning. The House got a whole bunch more uh, Republicans in there. And then, of course, Joe Biden won the the big election, so... 
Yeah, well, it's going to be an interesting few years. Yeah, well, you really touched on something there, Josh. I think that that uh, you know we talked about this, but this was really a referendum on Donald Trump. It seems to be uh, because uh, Joe Biden seemed to get a lot of Republican crossovers that went right back uh, down the Republican ballot after they voted for Joe Biden. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you look at North Carolina, and you look at some of these house rates, uh, house races. You just, you know, the writing's on the wall right there. I mean, uh, Tennessee's not seen that in the past decade, but uh, across some of the other swing states and, and rural areas, that still seems to be the case. Yeah, and, and uh, thanks for bringing that up, Matt. Really, the rural parts of, of the country and the rural parts of Tennessee, uh, it's, it appears that Donald Trump's uh, votes grew. That his, Absolutely. That his popularity. So do you guys think it's safe to say that Donald Trump is not is was was it just a fluke that he is actually a phenomenon? Is, I'll let Josh take this one. First. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you would you would have to. He gained, you know, he gained votes. Right. You know, he he has the second most votes ever behind, you know, the person he went up against. Uh, you know, I think that Donald Trump is li- is leading us down a path towards populism right you know on both sides and i i think that that's something that we're going to have to worry about cuz that that's just how it's going well, it you, looks like yeah you guys make a great point and and talking about rural tennessee and the rural parts of the country and the fact that that donald trump did gain uh, and we can get into that, but uh, a little bit. The, a lot of this has to do with it's basically tribalism and populism, as as Josh just said. Do are we seeing any folks that are the moderates? Are they are they just being quiet where you guys live out in the rural areas? Uh, I think that you I think that you have a lot of what I would call old school Republicans or the old guard Republicans. You know, they believe in. Wearing a mask, you know, they believe a little bit more in science. And, uh, you know, you still have some people I've talked to who are either that old guard of Republicans that are maybe in their 60s, you know, people that you'd see at, you know, breakfast at a coffee shop or, you know, talk to at a church uh, luncheon or something like that. You have that group, and then you have some some more, uh, you know, idolistic libertarian types who are saying, wait a minute, you know, Trump cut taxes – and that boosted the economy uh, to some degree, but he also didn't do anything about spending. So, you know, I guess you have some, you know, what I would call the old guard Republicans or some classical uh, conservatives that seem to be uh, concerned still about the budget and would like to see a balanced budget amendment and, and things of that nature. So, you know, I think that that's one element to it. But, you know, adding to what you said, you know, Trump was not a, a fluke. He definitely had a lot more freedom and definitely had a lot more uh, space to, to do what he did because of his status. You know, he was an outsider of politics, but he was definitely not an outsider as far as the court of public opinion go and the American perception of uh, people go. Because, you know, a lot of politics is, is theater and, you know, campaigning is very much a, uh, a marketing based and a media driven campaign so all those things kind of combined hand in hand and the only thing i'll say is you know a lot of liberals want to say that oh you know there's other trump people are racists and 
you know, nationalists and, and things like that. And there's an element of that. But I would argue that's more the icing on the cake than the cake itself. Yeah, well, I agree with you, Matt, because, you know, I really get upset when all Democrats are classified as socialists. You know, I'm, right. I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist. All Democrats are capitalists. Now, right. there are socialists that vote Democrats, but they tend to throw us all in one bucket. And we tend to do the same thing for them uh, to, to, to the Republicans. But I'll tell you that I believe this vote really crossed that line. Those were moderate Republicans that put Joe Biden in office. I mean, outside, I mean, we knew he was going to get the Democratic vote, but outside of that, let me change gears here a little bit about the economy. Josh, I want to talk to you about the economic. Prior to the pandemic, there were a lot of signs that our economy was in trouble after a long expansion, one of the longest expansions in history. Uh, but there were a lot of signs that our economy was in trouble. A lot of it had to do with some of the trade policies that we had. I like to keep it local. I like to talk about Tennessee companies when I talk about global economies. Josh, I want your opinion. Jack Daniels lost $150 million last year to the famous iconic distillery down in Moore County, Tennessee. Their sales are off due to their international sales, $150 million. Josh, what do you see for the economy? Were we weak before the pandemic started? And what's it going to, in your opinion, what's it going to take to get us out of this rut? That, that's a but tough one, Josh. You know, anytime <laughs> you start, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. But anytime you start imposing tariffs, right, you're hurting the economy. Yes. Now, you know, there are certain people and Donald Trump's one of them that think that, you know, you play a little bit of bully ball and you can, you know, as big as the United States is that we can kind of throw our weight around. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a free market person. And I think anything you do to throw a wrench in the free market is going to end up hurting companies like Jack Daniels. Mm -hmm. You know, the big companies are fine. Right. It's, you know, it's almost the Philip Morris way of doing thing where Philip Morris is fine with, uh, you know, putting tariffs and taxes on cigarette companies because that just keeps small companies from starting. Sure. You know, it, it kind of fuels their monopoly. And, you know, that that's the way I kind of look at it when it comes to Jack Daniels. Now, in terms of the overall economy, you know, I, I think that we were doing pretty well. Okay. Um, but me and Matt have talked off mic, you know, the all this spending has to, there's going to be a day of reckoning. Right. And I really thought that when it came to this election, if Biden won, it would be better for Republicans. And if Trump won, it would be better for Democrats, because I think the next president's holding footing that bill. Yeah, so that's exactly right, um, Josh. You, you know, I talked about that. Uh, the the candidates that were what I said, you know, quote lucky enough to get elected this time, or the people in office, the they're going to be the fortunate ones to get the that actually get to cut services and raise taxes. Would you would you agree with that, Josh? Well, yeah, they should. Mm -hmm. I, I think the answer is they should. But you know. I am pretty worried about Biden's economic policies. Okay, yeah, let's talk for, about that. For example, you know, he has came out and said multiple times he wants the Fed to address things like racial inequality. Yeah, that doesn't sound really, but I understand where he's yeah, going with that. You know, mm -hmm. It's one of those things where, 
you know, they, they have two jobs. It's to keep interest rates low, keep employment high. And the second you start messing with that, I think that we actually had a pretty good thing going before COVID. And I really don't know how much you want to touch that other than, you know, raising taxes is a must. I think so. I, I think that, that um, the Trump tax cut – here's my thing, Josh, and I, let me just drill down a little bit more. I, I don't really care about arguing whether it's 21 percent or 28 uh, percent. The corporate tax rate is what I'm talking about. What I really want to know is are these companies actually going to pay their effective tax rate? We can tax them at 90 percent, but if they find every loophole in the book and their effective tax rate is zero, uh, you know, are we accomplishing anything with this uh, voodoo economics, so to speak? Well, you know, that it's interesting that you bring that up because the corporate tax rate, it, it's not as big of a deal as people talk about because, you know, when people say things like Amazon didn't pay anything in taxes, yeah. well, they didn't pay anything in taxes because they put money towards research and development. Sure. You know, they put money in different places where, honestly, the money is better allocated. Okay. Like private businesses are going to do a better job of spending money than the government ever will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they talk about raising the corporate tax rate, all that does, you know, that, that affects people, you know, that's going to affect employees. Sure. You know, I don't, it, it's so funny whenever people argue about, you know, corporations paying their fair share or whoever, right? because corporations aren't people. You know, corporations are made up of a whole lot of people, and the people that end up getting the brunt of it are the workers at the bottom. That that that's true, and I'll tell you, Josh, the, the Democrats have a really bad habit of demonizing all corporations. That's simply not true. They're very responsible, good. Uh, community-friendly corporations that are out there that that um, give donations to various causes that are part of the communities that they uh, do business in. And so I think that, you know, that's back to kind of what we were talking about, throwing everyone into one bucket. We can't do that uh, with corporations either, throw them all in a bucket and say they're all evil. That's, this is our system in this country, and there's no going back. Uh, there's no changing this system would you agree with that i mean we sure we can have more government programs but we're not going to be a socialist country that's just ridiculous don't you think josh yeah of course now the thing about the the thing that i don't understand and and the thing i think that people think in the short term they, they don't think about long term for example look at an iphone right a new iphone every year is like twelve hundred dollars right Three years later, they give them away for free. Mm-hmm. So the money that's put into research and development, it does eventually get down to, you know, the, the poorest among us. Yeah. It's just it doesn't happen immediately. So there's a lot of people that demonize, they, you know, I mean, imagine, mm-hmm. you know, people talking about healthcare. I would rather have the worst healthcare in 2020 than the best healthcare in 1980. Sure. And and people don't think about it that way. And honestly, explaining things like that is what I think both parties need to get better at. Yeah. You know, to get people on their side moving forward. Perfect segue in there, Josh. Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah. The Democrats got crushed down ballot. 
Oh, and, they did. And and I believe I believe it's because we the Democrats have a good have the winning message on health care, but we don't have anything else. And I think it's because the Demo- well, Democrats yeah. don't have an economic message, Matt. That's where oh. I wanted to go to. So how do we how do we how do Democrats develop an economic message, especially for people in rural Tennessee? Well, I think that. Number one, you know, I was I was a supporter of, of Chris Hale. Right. Uh, Chris Hale, you know, reached out to Bledsoe County and a lot of the local leaders there. And I and love him or hate him, I knew that he would be an advocate. He's something I could talk to. And, you know, if it came to banning automatic weapons, I'd be like, Chris, this is something that your rural areas, most of your Democrats, most of your Republicans, obviously, or against, you know, you can't do this. I feel like I could give him the brass tacks on issues, but uh, yeah, the Democrats got beat. I mean, even a candidate like Chris Hale, that got to think it was 111, 112,000 votes. Great moral victory, but Scott Desjardins and the Republicans and the Trump supporters, you know, they uh, obviously just uh, turned broke out their big. Own. Yeah, yeah, they broke their own ceiling. But get back to an economic message. It starts with agriculture. You know, something you and I have talked about. Something I've talked about with Josh. Uh, you know, just kind of shooting ideas around with is now's the perfect time to look back to not just the last recession, but to look back to FDR. I'd love to see a jobs program. You know, the Republicans are saying, well, people are sitting at home getting more money uh, than they would be in out working because of these inflated unemployment checks. And of course, the arguments there is, well, <laughs> you know, they're actually experiencing what a sustainable uh, cost of living income is at this juncture. But I think that uh, for those people that are able-bodied that are out there, uh, it doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican in Tennessee. It could be a conservative area like Fairfield Glade in Cumberland County or, uh, you know, the suburbs of Knox County. Or it could be the liberal areas of uh, Shelby County and Knoxville. Those areas are getting the resources and the tax dollars that are needed to build infrastructure, to uh do what I think government should be doing is to be an incubator and to have all of the resources and utilities there that stifle growth and allow business to be successful. They're getting that. You know uh, You know that I've been an advocate for a four-lane road, particularly a, a corridor, if you will, between I-40 and Cumberland County and I-24 and South Pittsburgh. And the reason that's not getting done is because when it comes to winning statewide elections in Tennessee, Bledsoe and Sequatchie, we don't have a large enough vote share to influence the outcome of an election. Yeah. But if you if you want to do some of the larger things that I think that you need to do, like focusing on poverty alleviation, you need to do that. And, you know, just adding to what Josh said about corporations not being the bad guy, you know, I've always said I believe in capitalism of conscience. You know, you're right. We could, we could tax corporations any rate and – you know, they're going to find loopholes and some of those loopholes are good. You know, they do have uh, maybe not indirect uh, benefits or returns, you know, solvency that we've seen, but they do benefit in some ways. And I'm one of these people being a county commissioner. I'm all for tax abatements for, for deals to bring people in here to keep jobs in America. If we can say, hey, you know, guarantee us you're going to pay a living wage. You're going to offer some type of benefit. And, you know, if you can do that. Sure, we'd love to have you. You're going to generate revenue, but we can help you out on the tax rate to be competitive if we know that you're going to do these things to help, you know, foster growth 
in you know these different appendages sure. that are needed for small counties like Bledsoe, Sequatchie, Van Buren, and so forth to grow. Matt, I appreciate you talking about that about the tax abatements. That's one of my <clears throat> pet peeves that I have, and you know more. You're an elected official, so you know more than I do about what it takes to actually get industry into the area Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know and and i was i have been kind of pushing back against that but now i'm really pushing it back against it let me tell you why big corporations like bezos and amazon they literally have departments that are set up just to bilk the government for tax abatements you know how much can we and you know to me that's just completely wrong and uh so i would i would like to see us get away from that um a little bit and move you know back towards hey you want to come to bledsoe county because the people are great and this is a wonderful community you want your, oh, absolutely right so and i know that's hard and that we live in this competitive world let me change gears on you but you're right about the economic message democrats have no economic message until they develop one especially the rural areas they're going to continue to get beat josh let me ask you this question back in 2016 uh, campaign staffer brought up the idea of UBI to me, universal basic income. This was four years ago. And I said, don't ever bring that up to me again. Never, ever. Don't say it out on the trail. Don't talk about it. We don't want anyone talking about this. Then Andrew Yang comes on the scene in 2018, 2019, and explains UBI in a way that I can understand. My question for you, Josh, if we tax the tech industries, and I'm talking about Facebook, we have two choices with the tax industry, Josh, the way I see it. We can either bust them up or we can tax them, okay, because they're monopolies. And I'm talking about Amazon, uh, Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, the big – these are the people that are holding up the stock market right now. Josh, do you believe that we can tax tech enough to fund every American a freedom dividend for $2,000? First off, are you familiar with the Yang plan, and do you believe that that's actually possible? I'm familiar with the Yang plan. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you actually get in to the amount of money you get from those companies to individual people. I, I just don't know if $2,000 a month is practical. Uh-huh, um, sure. You know, um, Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, they went on Joe Rogan and, and would talk about things like this. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't don't think it's practical. Yeah, well. Uh, and even if it was, yeah. uh-huh. you almost have to reword it because there are a lot of people that are going to look at it as, as if it's a handout. Yeah, as it's just a handout. And and most of my Republican friends do that. They look at that initially that way. And then when you say, well, hey, we can eliminate this department, we can eliminate this department, we can eliminate, this, you know, the savings across the bureaucracy of the federal and state governments would be tremendous. And so when you look at that savings of closing down all of those departments and just dropping two grand a month in every American's bank account, it, it makes a lot of sense to a lot of Republicans now. So, oh, yeah, I mean, when yeah. you look at, uh, for example, and sorry to cut you off, no, but it's okay. last year I read that we, pay, that we spent on average $30,000 a person to fight homelessness. Now, $30,000 should get rid of homeless. You know, right. logically, $30,000 isn't a small amount of money. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we get rid of bureaucracy, but the problem with that is 
you, you know, it's almost a double-edged sword where in a lot of cases, Democrats enjoy bureaucracy. You know, you want things, you, you want things like, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, oh gosh. Um, affirm, affirmative action. Tactic, sure. Right? We want a we want a diversity. We want a lot of diversity. Well, you can't say, well, we need to, you know, look at giving people reparations. And then on the other hand, say, we really need to cut the budget in these other places. Right, right. Like the whole government needs a budget cut. And I feel like you're going to start hurting feelings if you start adding new things while taking away. Sure. You know, you're, you're taking away jobs. Any sure. Anytime you cut anything, what you're doing is taking away jobs. Yeah, well, and that's a, you make a really good point about that. And, and I want to tie this back to what Matt said in the tax abatements. You know, if you're bringing good jobs in, if you're bringing um, all of this activity, economic development and prosperity to our area, uh, we'll give you this tax abatement or, or whatever. But the other part of that, and back to your part about losing jobs, Josh, is tech. There needs to be a tech litmus test. In other words, if we're going to give these guys a, a million-dollar tax break out here, then we need to know that the jobs they're creating aren't going to be eliminated by a, a technological advance in the next five years, which is, for example, the case with Amazon. Uh, here in Rutherford County, we have these Amazon warehouses all over Middle Tennessee. Pretty soon, they're not going to need the people. It's just going to be robots. So what? talk about that a little bit, Josh. How do you see tech? They're, the biggest job in the state of Tennessee is truck driver. That's the number one job still in the state of Tennessee. Obviously, truck drivers are going to be replaced in the next 10 years with automated trucks. How do you see the new economy going forward with that, Josh? Well, so... What you're bringing up, people have brought up since the 1800s. Good point. You know, we always thought that the the factory worker was going to be eliminated, and yet there are still people that work in factories. That's right. You know, if we do get to a point where, you know, there are, there are trucks that don't need truck drivers, there's probably still going to be someone in the truck in case something goes wrong. Yeah, right. Kind of like the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know, especially w- with what you're bringing up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can tell a company, you know, we're going to make policy now based on five years because we don't know where we're going to be in five years. Right, right. You know, and it could be a situation. Think about Amazon. Mm-hmm. Amazon's been around since the '90s. Most people were not using Amazon in the '90s. So there could be something today that we don't use at all that five years from now changes everything. And I think it, it's really risky to make policy based on hypotheticals. On the future. That's a great point, Josh. Um, you know, and this is the catch-22 with tech and policy. Uh, policy is always five to ten years behind the tech. They all know it. Um, and so we're constantly playing this catch-up game and asking these uh, certain companies to police themselves from seditious or violent, you know, uh, voices that might be out there. So, okay, let's circle back to politics, Matt. I'm going to circle back <laughs> one more time with you. So right. the Democratic Party in Tennessee has really struggled. Recently, we found out that Mary Mancini is not going to be seeking a fourth term. Um, or maybe it's a fifth term. I'm not sure. Four or five. Matt, how do the Democrats turn it around? This is, these are big questions, guys. But how do the Democrats turn it around in Tennessee? Matt? Well, uh, first off, 
I'm going to use a little saying that my uncle used to say, and that's praise the Lord and pass the biscuits on uh, yeah, right. <laughs> Mary Mancini. Uh, it's pretty simple. We've let the other side frame the issues. And I did a uh, uh, college debate at Tennessee Tech when I was there and run a few awards. And, you know, one thing that I learned very quickly is you cannot let the other side frame the issues. You know, we, when we've said, you and I have, Stephen, it's, it's all in the presentation. You know, when I look, and I've done some research on, different state house seats and uh, I think it's Adams maybe who's the U.S. representative out in Utah. When you have pro-life, more pro-gun people in the Massachusetts state house or out west, you know, I don't know how you think that that's not going to happen in Tennessee. Better Democrats. Right. And people think that, well, you know, you're just an old Democrat or something like that. And, you know, Mm. one thing that even hurts the Democrats with the race issues is and I'll just say this, you know, everything that we've talked about, the difference between the Democrat and Republicans, one side wants to legislate, wants to legislate equality. Other side wants to try to, excuse me, one side wants to legislate equality. The other side wants to legislate morality and the right. Republicans. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think that you can do that, but the Democrats have to have an economic message. Whoever's chairman of the state party, uh, they need to have data and resources on all 95 counties. And that doesn't, ju- that doesn't just mean intellectual uh, research-based data that you've gotten from Vanderbilt and different institutes and, and policy think tanks. That's people on the ground. Democrats yeah. used to win because we had precinct-based organizing and we had people that we actually reached out to in the communities that knew what was going on. And, uh, you know, me, myself, I'm a pro-gun Democrat. I've, I've taken the uh, political... Uh, courage test by the NRA, and I got a B plus on it. That's far from the <laughs> far from the uh, F rating that some of our candidates have uh, have gotten. But you know, you talked about the economy and having an economic message, and I think Josh is right. You know, sometimes we have policy with the best of intentions, and we kind of just uh, cross our fingers and hope for the best. But you know, Tennessee News did a report that said Tennessee's number one in fiscal stability and the republicans mm-hmm. like to uh mm-hmm. to do that which a lot of that goes back to the bredesen administration and a lot of those tough decisions sure. that were made but we are number 26 in opportunity mm. and, and and i think that you know we have to be willing to expand and try to develop an economic message actually i uh, bledsoe county is a distressed county governor lee came and visited bledsoe last year and i handed him a plan Mm-hmm. Uh, with some goals in there. And I said, I'd love to see Tennessee be released from being an economically, or excuse me, not Tennessee. I'd love to see Bledsoe County to be released from being an economically distressed county in uh, by 2030. Right. And, uh, you know, we talked about what it takes and what's needed. You know, we have companies, and I've sat in local government meetings, TDEC meetings, you know, and without health care, which Tennessee's number 43, according to that U.S. News report, and, and health care, and we're 38 in access, without health care, without schools, without good infrastructure, utilities, roads, things like that. Uh, they it's, won't it's, come. It's, it's hard for us to compete. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've called this kind of the Walmart model, and I've seen it when I worked at uh, – at Walmart when I was at Tennessee Tech, you know, I used to kind of use them uh, as a guinea pig. And, you know, I think I think that raising the minimum wage astronomically is something that we can't do right off the ground. But, you know, I'm not saying it's not impossible. I mean, I think that a mi- minimum wage floor is needed 
to prevent employers from overly relying on government programs to support employees. Because you know, that's one thing the Republicans should be saying is all these low wage jobs are causing this yes. job market to rely on government programs. Mm-hmm. And if private enterprise would do their role, it'd be better. But, you know, maybe it needs to be $11 in in Bledsoe County in a place like that. Maybe it does need to be $15 in Cookville, Nashville, Murfreesboro, and these growing areas. And I think that that's something that we have to uh, to try to look at. I mean, you know, Arkansas, a few elections ago, you know, as conservative as Arkansas has been leaning, you know, they voted to raise the minimum wage. Right. And I, and I think that's part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. I think I that uh, I think bluntly, if the job market is generating a lot of very low wage and insecure jobs, which cannot keep families out of poverty. Uh, you know, we have a choice to act or to not. You know, that's why I talked about the tax abatements. Mm-hmm. I'm for that with a catch. It's just like health care. You know, uh, uh, I'm conservative on, on guns and a couple of other issues. But one thing that I definitely believe is this idea of a public option. Right. I Je- think. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's you make a really good point, Matt. And and most folks know as far as the minimum wage stuff goes, I think that's a little tired argument for the Democrats. I think it's important, but I don't think it's the entire economic message. And you you remind me of our favorite governor whose saying was uh, the Mm -hmm. best the best social program is a good paying job. Now, there are tons of Democrats out there, 80 percent of us that still believe that. So I want to ask Josh this question. Josh, with the rise of the centrists, Joe Biden is a centrist. Most of the Democrats, the the Republicans that put Joe Biden in office are centrist. Do you see us getting anything done for economic standpoint as far as a stimulus goes, as far as relief for these businesses? Uh, we're, you know, this is obviously going to lead into the pandemic question. But but do you see uh, the rise of the centrist as a positive for actually getting traction within the state and the federal government? I hope so. Yeah, me I too. I hope that, you know, going into January – you know, when the Senate comes back, I hope that now that Trump is out of office, you know, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi both don't have a reason to hold back a stimulus plan. Right. And Joe However, Biden. Joe Joe's known Mitch for years, right? So it's not like they haven't done deals before. Well, and yeah, I, the reason that it didn't go through last time, though, was because I think Nancy Pelosi would have looked at it as a win for Trump that he could you know, campaign on, right. Uh, you know, you hope that the adults are back in the room now that, you know, there's not any more election for two years, but you know, we'll see Yeah. because I think right now, you know, the Republicans all have a common enemy in, in Joe Biden and in the Democrats and they've lost. So that they're all going to be together. I think the Democrats are, are fractured right now. Yeah. You know, that mm-hmm. that report came out of the phone call where the centrist Democrats yes. were yelling about the AOC types. And going back to what Matt and you were talking about earlier, I think that's the Democrats' biggest issue in Tennessee and in red states is that they have national people come in. And, you know, Tennessee doesn't want an AOC. You no, know, Georgia, I yeah, don't think right. wants a Beto O'Rourke. <clears throat> yeah. And when you start pushing those people down their throats, that you know, that's why I kind of think this is going to go to a Republican in the runoff because they are bringing these outside people in and 
the well, South doesn't like people that aren't from the uh, South. You make I a mean, great point, Doug I, Jones. So you guys remember Doug Jones' special election when the DNC that you know people were packing up and going to Alabama, and he was like, "Do not send people. Send money, but don't send any people down here." <laughs> so you make a great point, Josh. That's so, Josh. I want to, let me let me stay with you one more time, and I'm going to get to what is on everybody's mind and has been for a long time. Hamilton County, where you reside now, is the home of Volkswagen, the first German automobile plant built outside of Germany. How long are the Germans going to put up with a society that doesn't respect biology and the and the uh, danger of this COVID virus? How, how, are the Germans? I mean. The, you know as well as I do, Josh, the Europeans and especially Germans are taking this a lot more uh, strongly than we are and than our society is. Is this a danger for us losing foreign investment, I guess, is my global question. I would say no, just because we should be within a little bit of a vaccine. Okay. And yes, let's hope so. It's supposed to. You know, it, it shouldn't be a big deal, but, you know, it, it's up to individual companies. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I work at Keller Williams. Very early on, they sent us an email that said, you know, we go into homes, but that's considered we should look at homes as private property and yeah. we should have masks on. Yeah. And we should encourage the people we show houses to to wear masks. You know, it seems like when it comes to things like that, people are fine when businesses say that if that employer is paying them money right you know we have higher rates than other parts of the world but you know as much as we hear about european countries doing better you know they're spiking too they are their spiking. spikes aren't like our spikes right but right. but they're going up too and you know at this point i think it it just comes down to the vaccine if the vaccine does kind of make it safer generally we should be fine. But yeah, kind of like you said, if it does end up taking longer here than the rest of the country, that that could be a possibility as much as they've invested into Chattanooga. I don't think it, it would happen, but you know, it, right. if it does take a year, if it does take two years, they may rethink that. You never know. Well, you got to think, see up here in, in, in Rutherford County, we think about Nissan and the Japanese and what they mean to the community here and how many people are employed there, the economic impact. But I've got to say, I haven't met anyone yet that said, if I had a multi-million dollar investment in a foreign country, hundreds of millions of dollars, but I was not allowed to visit my investment, at some point, I'm going to pull out. Don't you think that's a fair business assessment, Josh? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. But mm-hmm. the thing about it is they have so many working in real estate. Before that, I worked at a restaurant. My wife works at a restaurant. Yep. Uh, they have people here. Yes. I mean, they, they've moved a whole lot of people here. So, it, you know, big picture, you're right. Mm-hmm. But they, they already have German people here yeah. that... <laughs> Well, while I've got you on the real estate, Josh, let me ask you, how are home prices? How's the real estate business looking down there in the southeast part of Tennessee? What are, what are you seeing out there? Well, it, it you know, it's going great. We don't have a lot of inventory and the prices, you know, the prices keep going up. And I would say that they continue to go up. The Fed came out and said that they're locking interest rates for two years. Mm-hmm. And if their interest rates are low, home home buying interest rates are low. Uh 
the thing about it is, is just, you know, inventory. There's not a lot. And yeah. then new builders are building, you know, three, four or $500,000 homes when people need hundred and two hundred thousand dollars right so we have it so in the youth. resale is just yeah so you have a housing issue there, same as we do here in Middle Tennessee. We have definitely have a low and middle housing income crisis here. Uh, we just we simply just don't have the inventory here in Middle Tennessee. Matt, let me swap off, and I'm going to stay on this topic though. Back in May, uh, the Howard Baker. Center of Public Policy at the University of Tennessee, which is not a conservative think tank. Right, Matt? You would agree that that's, <laughs> I mean, that's Bill Haslam's, you know, home. <laughs> right. They, they came out with a study on the pandemic back in March, and they said if we don't lock down and, te- and get a, a capable testing system in place, which I think that's what, you know, the vaccine is great to hang our hats on, but there's so many logistic issues with that. We're costing the economy. Every American that dies, Matt, according to the University of Tennessee, is costing the GDP about $10 million. They hate, you know, no one wants to put a price tag on on a human life, but that's what they were tasked with doing. They're saying that the GDP as long as we continue to try to operate this economy and the pandemic is going to continue to suffer $10 million for every person that dies. Matt, how do we, how do we get Republicans to listen to Republicans? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question, isn't it? That's, uh, that's an interesting question. I think uh, it's, certainly a, it's certainly an interesting question. I think, you know, I'm with like Joe Biden said during the debates, and I hope he stays true to this. I don't want to see the economy have to close down. Right. You know, I, I no want to see does. us try to, again, try to be incubators, try to give small businesses whatever they need to uh, to survive. And it's uh, it's funny. I mean, you know, we're, we're giving out the PPP loans and, and all these different things that may be coming about which, by the way, for those of you that are listening, I thought it was funny reading about the PPP loans, the Paycheck Protection Program. The uh, Ayn Rand Institute in California actually applied for one of those. You know, oh, they're supposed, right. supposed to be big, lousy, fire your hands off. I uh, hope Gabe Fetcher heard that when he hears this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah, so that's, but I, I don't know what you do other than, you know, hey, we want businesses to grow. Yeah. We, we want to eliminate any liabilities and any hardships that may come with this. You know, I think that you have to just uh, look at the numbers, look at the data, and you have to sell that as an economic message on we want Tennesseans healthy. We want every American healthy. And, you know, we want them physically healthy, but we also want a healthy economy. And the way that we do that is by, you know, trying to practice common sense, wearing a mask, uh, you know, well, you can't have one without the others, what you're really trying to say, Matt, I yeah, think. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't. And, uh, you know, I think it's funny because uh, one thing I'd like to talk about, and, and I'm going to segue and tie this together with something the Democrats need to do in Tennessee. So for Mary Mancini and all you other people, just listen from this good old country boy in, in Bledsoe County. I might talk slow, but I'm going to try to get fast. Uh, I think one thing that you have to do is realize this is a poor man's disease. The people that have the ability to go out, to come off the mountain, to travel 30 or 45 minutes, to get tested, to get a checkup, they have that. But you look and you kind of parametricize the fact of, you know, where we rank in healthcare, and a lot of the rural states are there towards the bottom. 
this is a poor man's disease. Of course, I think we have a benefit of, you know, not having such a, a densely populated area, but uh, it, it's a poor man's disease. Sure. And it's like, it's like a lot of the things that affect us, you know, as like Josh said, you know, everybody's talking about equality. That same report uh, from U.S. News with Tennessee, it, I was reading, uh, you know, the different uh, things that actually qualified it to be number 20, for Tennessee to be 26 in opportunity. We were actually number nine in equality. And that okay. shocked me. Yeah. And I think with this pandemic, the opioid pandemic, we have to focus on class issues, classism, class warfare, uh, and not right. in any type of radical Marxist sense, but realize that the same issues that are happening in the rural areas are happening out in the inner city and the urban areas. And if I were running, I would run on inner city uh, and urban and rural unity. Cause I mean, you know, the music might be different. Some of their cultural way aesthetics and attributes might be different, but we're still dealing with low uh, income housing. We're still dealing with single parent, Households, education funding, healthcare funding, right? Exactly, all the, all these things, and that's part of the message that needs to uh, that needs to happen. Of course, the one caveat there is a lot of these inner city areas they're getting funding, and when you think about how it's used, and a lot of the rural areas are being left on the back burner, left behind. So, yeah, and that's that's where the whole rub comes in, and the kind of the Hunger Games model that we've kind of formed into now, and intentionally. Uh, seems to be happening that, you know, because of what you just said, you know, the thing, Matt, is the, the, the coalition in Georgia is exactly what you just described. It's the black Mm. folks in Atlanta and the country Democrats out in Georgia, right? And and so anyway, I think that that has a lot to do with it, Josh. This is I've been giving you the tough ones, Josh. So, and I apologize, but the the back in April, the Fed did something extraordinary which was all of these loans that Matt just spoke about. Um, and and they're forgivable loans, no doubt. If you uh, meet all the criteria, you can actually have this loan forgiven. Josh, what do you see as the next step? That What, what, does, what do we need most? What, what's going to be the most bang for our buck and fuel into the economy with this next stimulus? Is it a check? Is it a, something for the businesses? Is it a, a rent freezing? What, what do you think is going to be the best bet to, to get our biggest bang for our buck? So when we talk about monetary policy, yep. the answer is always giving money to the poorest people because when you give money to the poorest people, they have to spend it. Right. You know, when you give money to a corporation, uh, even the PPP loans, which listen, they're great, but when it comes to what we should do back in March, uh, whenever it was looking that we were going towards a lockdown, uh, you know, I kind of looked at the numbers from the last lockdown and everything, or not the last lockdown, I'm sorry, the recession. Right. And the last recession, they said that the checks that they sent out, if they were $1,000 higher, we wouldn't have had a recession. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like we would have been able to cut. Of course, you know, in 2008, spending that kind of money was absurd. Right. right. Now, unfortunately, that's kind of more common. You know, honestly, I would lock everything down. I would send out $3,000 checks for adults. Mm -hmm. You can do $1,000 for kids. But the caveat is you can't go anywhere. Right. you got to you know, stay if home. If you're not a doctor, yeah. if you're not a nurse, you, you can't go anywhere. Yeah. A and grocery store, fire department, that. that type of thing. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if we did that, because that's that's the thing, all the poor people would have to spend the money. You know, it's a it's a big enough chunk of change that you shouldn't really be hurting anybody. No one's going hungry, only making three or six thousand dollars in a month. Right. Uh, you know that. But it's a trickle up. The best thing to do. Is. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think the only alternative to that, and I, nobody wants to lock down again. Nobody wants to do that. The only alternative to that, and I think we've already missed the boat on that. We could obviously get started, but to ha- Andy Dickey, who's a frequent guest on here, talked about this from the very beginning. We need mass testing for everyone. If you go to work, you have to be tested weekly or every two or three days. And that's what we really need the government to step up and do. And then, of course, a healthy contact tracing. Contact tracing is running out of funding because all of that first bill, they've spent all of that money. And so as the virus grows, we're seeing contract tracing wind down as a result of this politics. But, gentlemen, it's been a great show. Matt, is there anything you'd like to say, um, anything else you'd like to add for the listeners out there, the Man in the Middle podcast? You know, I think that if you have – a friend or a family member, especially just with a cesspool that Facebook and social media has came, you know, to try to have lunch with somebody that you've been friends with or just acquaintances with who's on the other side of the political spectrum and, you know, find out the things that you have in common, uh, you know, encourage people to vote, but try to show up to local meetings, try yeah. to be involved, try to ask questions, you know, just participate and let your voice be heard and, you know, hopefully you can have a better understanding and a better appreciation for maybe the other side and realize, you know, after we talked and, you know, we kind of ironed, <clears throat> ironed out some of the finer details, you know, we've got some major disagreements maybe on a couple of core issues, but then on, you know, several smaller scale issues, we just, we want the same things. We want a healthy economy. Uh, we'd like to see growth. We care about our communities. We care about our families. Uh, people of faith, you know, uh, you're going to find out that the other other thing I'll caution everybody out there is you don't get anybody to learn and you don't get anybody to buy in what you're doing by selling them and calling them stupid. You know, you can't, you can't do that. Couldn't agree more, Matt. And that's the whole reason for this podcast. I really appreciate that is to try to bring people together from both sides and have civil conversations. Josh, I was rough on you the first time on the man in the middle. I asked you a lot. Of, I love economists, though, because I and people that have studied the economy, because I love to hear what your perspective is. Uh, Josh, anything you'd like to add for our listeners out there before we go? Uh, well, you know, with this being the first time I'm on, thank you for having me. I love the tough questions on the, the economy. That's that's what I look at more than anything outside of real estate. Uh, you know, if if you're gonna buy or, buy or sell a house in Hamilton County, look up Josh Robertson. I'm the first name that comes up. But, there you uh, go. Shameless plug. We love it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we've got listeners in Hamilton County, so absolutely. Yeah, but other than that, you know, uh, I'm just glad to be on and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Josh, for joining us. And Matt Colvert, Josh Robertson. This is Stephen the Stephen Reynolds, the man in the middle, and I'll see you next week. You start walking mine We meet in the middle Meet that old Georgia pine We gain a lot of ground Cause we both give a little Ain't no 